So how's everybody doing, all right? Yep, that's good. Nice to have the sun shining, isn't it? Fantastic. I'd like you to actually continue that bit of audience participation. Is that all right? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Here you go. I'd like you to complete the following sentence. Someone may well say to you, of course I can change my mind. It's a... Oh, I reckon if I'd said that about 10 years ago, you'd have all gone for that, but not today. We're a little bit more wary. There were some, a very few of you that were quite brave in saying, oh yes, changing your mind is a woman's prerogative. There used to be that line, didn't there? It's a woman's prerogative. Now, of course, I've not said that deliberately this morning. You did. So I can't receive now any emails from around the world about how non-PC I've been. In reality, of course, we all change our mind from time to time. Children can change their mind quite readily, can't they, about who their best friend is. It might be this little boy one day and then that little girl the next, etc., etc. Young people change their mind in terms of fashion, about what's in and what's out. And my wardrobe was filled up with clothes, which I'm thinking if I leave them there long enough, some of those may well come back in. You never know. You may well have a wardrobe uh, like that, or you may well be like and be just forever up to speed with the, the current way of thinking. Of course, we can all change our minds. It's not just that change is a, a, changing your mind is a woman's prerogative at all, is it? Men, we can change our minds, can't we? We can. I was going to go out for a run in the rain yesterday, but I changed my mind. I thought, no, instead of that, I'm going to wash my car instead. But for the purposes of illustrating the point today, I changed my mind. So it's still as completely dirty as it was yesterday. But, you know, whether or not I went for a run or I washed my car or I did or didn't change my mind, I'm exactly the same person, regardless of what I did regarding my decisions or choosing to change them or otherwise. We're thinking about this whole question of does God change his mind in the context of being aware that throughout the year uh, we've looked at our theme for the year and you've had a dress rehearsal at this. So our theme for the year is what? Four of you come October have remembered that for nine months we've been looking at changing times but unchanging God. We live in changing times and this whole COVID season uh, over 18 months worth has really challenged us, hasn't it? Each of us in terms of having to rethink, not just in terms of church, but you and I, we've had to make some decisions in terms of how we live and the choices we've made. I dare say we've changed our mind as well as we've become either accustomed to what's going on all around us or because we're fed up of doing those things that we've had to do. And of course, some of those changing our minds doesn't always coincide with everybody else's. Changing times. And yet we believe here as a church in the God of the Bible who is unchanging. Our God, our rock, totally 
unchanging. Now, are you ready for some big words this morning? Uh, somebody said on, uh, on Cafe uh, Church, I think it was on Cafe Church, yet one of the reasons that they like the church here uh, is because, um, I think it was something along the lines of Roger's simple was what she was meaning, um, but she didn't say those words, but it was something along the lines of, I can understand what, what's being said, because it, it, it connects with where uh, people are at, and I hope that that is the case. And I said to that person in question, who's given me a smile from the back, I won't tell you it's Pat, um, but I, I, I said to her, well, actually, you're in for a bit of a surprise because on Sunday morning there's going to be some big words so here we go some big words um are you ready for some big words don't say yes and then change your mind there's a little pun there if you think about it okay I doubt that any Christian would deny the fact that God being omnipotent which means all-powerful omnipresent which means ever-present and omniscient which means all-knowing could change his mind if he wished but the question is does God ever change his mind so God is all those amazing things all seeing all knowing etc etc but does he ever change his mind if you want to know what this subject is all about another big word for you is this is all about abrogation but you knew that from your word study this week I'm sure didn't you no okay Anyone, though, who is all-knowing must, by definition, know everything. That would be true, wouldn't it? And therefore should never need to change their mind because they knew what had happened and they knew what would happen in any set of circumstances. And that's important for us to hold on to whatever we explore together and whatever conclusions we make. God is all-knowing. His word is very clear. This is what we read in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, where God says, before I, fo- before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Just let that sink in. Some of you are, not that many of you, but some of you are young enough to maybe have seen scans of your children when the baby was in the womb. Or you may well have have seen pictures of your grandchildren that have been text across to you where you've seen these pictures that don't really necessarily look like a young child, but we're told that that is a child in the womb. We think that is incredible. We can know the beginnings of the forming of what a child looks like before that child is born. God's word is saying, before you were even that, I knew you. That is amazing, isn't it? Before you are even a speck. Just let that sink in. The psalmist reflects the same thinking about God. When in Psalm 139, verse 15 and 16, he says there, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So if this creator God is all-knowing, why would he ever? need to change his mind it's a valid question isn't it before we respond in song which we're going to shortly we need a god who does not change in terms of who he is 
And I just want to briefly touch on that. Uh, Children can be very nervous, can't they, when they go up to big school for the first time. It may well be a toddler going up to preschool uh, for the first time. Parents are very nervous uh, too. And without being sexist, uh, experience would suggest that for mums, that is more emotionally difficult than for dads. And they'll be all right. (laughs) Uh, uh, But the child is resilient, isn't it? He or she, they're very resilient. They may well have tears, and off they go. As soon as parents are out of sight, they tend to dust themselves down, and they are fine. As we think about uh, changes taking place and new sets of circumstances, uh, I want to encourage you to pray for Romy, our new pastoral uh, care worker, who right now is probably uh, watching. uh, I don't know if you're watching this online or a little bit later, Romy, but she's now resigned from her job out in the church that she was in in South Africa, preparing to come to minister with us and join us. That's a big change, isn't it? She's having to leave the rest of her family behind until they join her around about Christmas time. Big change. Do pray for her in that regard. But let's go back to kids' first day at school. When they come out after their first day, who is it that they are looking for? They're looking for their parent, their guardian, their foster parent, whoever it may well be that that dropped them off. They're looking for that familiar face, aren't they? And of course, as the days go by, it may well be that they're looking for that familiar uh, face to be stood in the same place at the school gate or in the playground or wherever the meeting point is. That sense of changelessness is what a child uh, needs. The parent, of course, is there out of love. The child needs that assurance. What if that familiar person is then not there? It creates a bit of unrest unsettledness doesn't it a bit of panic a bit of helplessness they need to know that that constant person is always there and we need to know that God is always there especially when it feels like he isn't and I suspect in a group of people gathered like this this morning there may well be a number of you that are feeling a bit like that I'm just not sure he's there or he doesn't feel as close to me this is what the bible says in malachi chapter 3 verse 6 i the lord do not change now after being at bible college for three years i've realized what that means is this god does not change they aren't there's some other bible scholars out there as well That is a constant that we need to be encouraged by. God doesn't change. Where we face these changing times, where our own feelings can change up or down, let's draw comfort from the fact that God himself, in who he is and in his character, does not change. And that also relates to in his love for us as well. So it's to that end we're going to pause and worship this changeless unfailing God, faithful God, so unchanging. And after a couple of songs, then Tori is going to come to read to us from the book of Jonah. Today's reading is taken from the book of Jonah, starting at chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish, 
he went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then continuing in chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warnings reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued to Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned away from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Thank you, Tori. That's great. So let's think about some of these uh, some of these things relating to this subject about does uh, God, God uh, change? We're going to come back to the book of Jonah a little bit later on. Uh, it may well be that we need, you know, a God who is able to change uh, his mind. God is concerned about the behavior of people and things go wrong when people go against him and against his ways. That's no different uh, from way back since the beginning of time. Wrong deserves to be punished. What if God determines that if as a result of bad behavior, there would then be a consequence, let's say, in my life or in your life. He decides that and he tells us how awful it would be if he was unwilling to then relent and change his mind. There'd be no need for us to maybe feel convicted in need of repentance or indeed of changing our behavior. If we look at what's called the story of the golden calf in Exodus chapter 32, that illustrates it quite uh, interestingly. We read there that God was so unhappy with his stiff-necked people that in verse 10, the Lord said to Moses, Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses pleaded for his people and finally God then said to Moses in verse 14, then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. What happened? Well, God, the unchanging one, it appears to change, it appears that he changed his mind, seemingly in response to the humble begging of Moses. More maybe of that uh, later. Did God know what was going to happen? Well, yeah, we know that because we've already explored that earlier on. God, it seems, changes his mind because of what the Bible tells us. If we look back in Numbers chapter 22, 
uh, Numbers chapter 22. We've got an interesting account just before the Balaam's donkey um, example. So from chapter 22 and verses 12 onwards, we read this, that God said to Balaam, do not go with them. That seems pretty clear. You must not put a curse on, on those people because they are blessed. The next morning, Balaam got up and said to Balak's princes, go back to your own country for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So the Moabite princes returned to Balak and said, Balaam refused to come with us. Then Balak sent sent other princes more numerous and more distinguished than the first. They came to Balaam and said, this is what Balak, son of Zippor, says. Do not let anything keep you from coming to me because I will reward you handsomely and do whatever you say. Come and put a curse on these people for me. But Balaam answered them, even if Balak gave me his palace filled with silver and gold, I could not do anything great or small to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. Now stay here tonight as the others did, and I will find out what else the Lord will tell me. That night, God came to Balaam and said, since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but only do what I command you. So God says to Balaam in verse 12, do not go with them. Then verse 20, that night God came to Balaam and said, since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but only do what I tell you. And that's reiterated then in verse 35, where the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with these men, but speak only what I tell you. So Numbers 22, verse 12, God commanded Balaam to uh, to not go with these men. And then the other couple of verses that I read out, he appears to change his mind and commanded Balaam through his angel to go with them. Did God change? No, but it may well be that he changed his mind. Now, I live out at Stratton and uh, nice village, pretty little village. And from where I live, there are three different ways that I can get to Weymouth. Now, the most usual way, if you know the A37, uh, would be to then drive up to Monkey Jump Roundabout, drive down the hill to what we all call Tesco's Roundabout, uh, turn right at Tesco's Roundabout and go to Weymouth that way. It may well be that if the traffic is a bit kind of on on the heavy side and I'm already in town, I may well go the back road out uh, past Joseph Weld uh, Hospice and past Came Down Golf Course, where for some reason I always duck in the car. It makes no difference whether or not my car's going to get hit with a golf ball and then get to Weymouth that way the the narrow road down but the scenic view you may well know the one or it may well be in coming up to monkey jump roundabout again I choose to take the back road through Martinstown very picturesque and again I can get to Weymouth that way the destination remains exactly the same all that happens is that the journey going from A to B has changed And regardless of whether or not I change my mind, I am the same person. I don't have to change who I am simply because I changed my mind. Maybe so it is with God. Now let's return to the book of uh, Jonah that um, has just been read to us uh, by Tori. And thank you for that, uh, Tori. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. This is in the beginning uh, of that book. Um, uh, The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So there was a message of, of, uh, of judgment. Uh, Jonah, very bold Jonah, runs away. Goes in the complete opposite direction. Not that we ever do that. Interesting uh, response. So Paul's there. 
So Jonah finally obeys. And you may well know the story of the big fish, etc., etc. And right when he was at his wit's end, he then cries out to God. God then saves him. And then we've had chapter 3 read to us. So Jonah then finally obeys the Lord and tells the Ninevites that they had 40 days before their huge city of more than 120,000 people would be overturned. So the Ninevites, in hearing God's message, repented. And then God, it would appear, changes his mind. How we behave, for good or bad, can determine how God treats us. That didn't ought to uh, surprise us because we're told to honour the Lord, to follow the Lord, to worship him with our whole hearts, our whole uh, selves, all that we are. And if we make some dumb decisions and we completely go against God, then we ought to not be surprised if things go a bit pear-shaped. There's a consequence for those wrong decisions, isn't there? Three people. Okay, you're in agreement. Brilliant. The rest of you, well done. Let me know how you're working that out. We know that there's a consequence for those things that we do that are just not right. And you can think of some examples, uh, I'm sure. If you can't, ask David, because he was nodding profusely, so he obviously knows all about making bad decisions. So there we go. Ask David if you need some words of wisdom on that a little bit later. God, it seems, may well be able to adjust almost his behavior. He's God. He can do what he wants, after all, dependent on maybe some of the choices that we make. And I'm grateful that God is very patient to wait until there's times when we then are able to have that opportunity of turning back to him. Often he will keep on reminding us, won't he, so that if we start then to listen, we can maybe eventually do the right thing and follow God's command if we don't then god allows us that right to disobey but when there's negative consequences as a result it's not god's fault like when someone would uh, say to me about well i think that's dreadful if god sends people to hell well god is saying if you believe you ain't gonna go there if you believe you will be saved etc etc we can touch on that a little bit later as well So if someone is in essence saying up yours, God, to whatever you have said in your word, it is not God's fault for what the consequences are. It's an individual's. Like we have that sense of human responsibility, don't we? God, it may well be changes his mind because we don't always do uh, as we should. Let's go back to the book of of Genesis, which is the first uh, book in the Bible. My footnote here has actually dropped out, so... There's all these forward pages that you get very often in Bible. So Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. We read there that the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. And then in verse 6 of chapter 3, when the woman saw the fruit of the tree uh, was good for food and pleasing to the eye uh, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then if you follow on through that chapter, you can see the punishment that resulted. Adam had exercised his free will by refusing to accept God's command and disobeyed him by eating that that fruit from the tree of knowledge. The results were disastrous, not just for them, but for me and you as well, because we ended up being born into sin and on that not good destiny of where we were going, unless we allowed God to break into our lives 
where we then have an opportunity to taste his forgiveness. God loves us, but he hasn't made us as robots. So he's not going to force any of us to follow him or to believe in him because that is not love. You can't force anyone to love you, can you? God didn't want blind obedience. He wanted our love. So he had to give us free will to choose. I wonder how many times our own disobedience has led not only to a bad result, but maybe God needing to change his mind in some degree or other. Let me illustrate. Maybe he has spoken to me very clearly about someone that I should share my faith with or about helping someone. Or there's been the name that I've had put of someone in my mind about giving them a ring. And I don't do that. Is God going to be completely dependent on whether or not I've received that wake-up call to actually reach that other person? No. Not at all. He's likely to communicate something to somebody else who's going to do a better job of it than I am. And probably, to be fair, he usually does. (laughs) We can be slow to hear, can't we? I wonder if you've had that hunch that maybe you've only realised later, "Ah, I ignored that. I thought it was just in my mind. it, It fleeted in and it fleeted out. But as I look back, maybe it was God's prompting. There are times when we get it right. And that's a fantastic thing, isn't it? To actually celebrate that engagement and connection and partnership, uh, God's word calls it, with him, whereby as a part of this ministry of reconciliation, we've received something and then we're involved in connecting with someone and they receive something of God that way. And that's brilliant. With gifts like free will comes responsibility. One can't flourish without the other. God has given us the right to our own uh, free will, but we must temper that by being responsible. It's a bit like maybe a spreadsheet uh, with a difference. I'm not very good at maths. I'm not uh, very good at um, at the whole finance and accounts uh, kind of stuff. So quite soon, members of the church here will be getting the annual accounts. The first thing I tend to do is try to work out which way up to hold the sheet of paper. Um, I also tend to get a simplified version from Liz that I then need to ask somebody to explain that one to me as well. It's not kind of my thing, but many of you will know what a spreadsheet is. And if you do that now on a computer, you kind of throw in the information and then that is going to affect the the end column. And and that's uh, wonderful. When there are additional figures or data put in, that affects everything else on, on the journey through. It's good to know that God has got that final column all sorted out. I have complete confidence with that. I have no sense of doubting that God is going to do everything as he purposed and as he planned. Because he does not change. But maybe in the midst of that, because we're in changing times and we're a changing people. He's got to do a lot of work in terms of being able to get to that end result. Isn't it great that God's in control and not us lot? Let's be fair. Regardless of what our our thinking might be about whether or not God really changes his mind. We had some great discussion and debate at Cafe Church uh, here about that yesterday, both here and on Zoom, by the way. We're doing Cafe Church now in two ways. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning 
and the end. There's no um, mention of his being absolute authority in the middle. In actual fact, God's word says about the, the, the prince of darkness over this uh, age, over this uh, world, doesn't it? I wonder if it's a bit like our de- a detour en route, where we're going to get there in the end. There's a right destination, but it may well be like that trip to Weymouth. Uh, there's different ways of getting there. Because of maybe my own inconsistency or my inability to be led, God's got to continue to persevere and find alternatives until I wake up and get it and then I'm back in line with what he's wanting for me or to do in me or through me. And if we multiply that out to each one of you or me, wow, what an amazing God we worship because he is able to do that. He knows exactly what that end column is going to look like. The best thing we can do is to trust him to that end. That even if we're not sure whether or not to choose A, B or C, we trust him because it is going to be okay. Just be sure you know your destination. I've got to throw that in. I know my destination. On the 22nd of October 1983, when my life was a mess, I made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. I've made a whole host of mistakes since then. But nothing has ever changed since that day. The fact that I know is true that my Redeemer lives and I'm going to be with him one day. Not because of good things that I do, certainly not because I'm a jolly pastor, but because of his mercy and forgiveness, which all is true and real and open to each one of us because of Jesus. That's where the Jesus bit fits in. He did for me what I could never do for myself. He took all that wrongdoing upon himself that's why he gave his life when he died that cruel unjust death on the cross all of my wrongdoing all of my sin dumped upon him and he says roger all you got to do is believe that i did that for you then you go free we live in an age don't we where we find it difficult to believe that you get anything for nothing and of course, there isn't nothing at, uh, uh, at stake for us. We need to make a response. We need to make that sacrifice, if you like, to say, okay, count me in, I'm going to follow you. But in terms of what we have to do, nothing, nothing. It's just receive. It's admit that you are a sinner who's failed and gone wrong. There's been stuff that's gone wrong in our lives and we deserve that wrong to be punished. But we've got the opportunity to believe in the one who's punished in our place so that we don't have to take the blame. And then there's that opportunity for each and every one of us to commit our lives to following this Lord Jesus. I trust that if you haven't yet done so, you'll discover more about that and make that decision so that you can then know your final destination. And it is going to be okay, regardless of what pain comes our way in our journey. One more point, which is, of the, which is this. Prayer is of no value. Oh, what a lovely picture to take of you. Unless maybe there is a God who's willing to change his mind. Let me tell you what I mean by that. If we see a person going down a particular path or a situation getting worse, could be personally, in the church, nationally, globally, what's the point of praying about it if there is no possibility of there being any change whatsoever? 
We looked yesterday back at um, 2 Kings chapter 20. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, this is what the Lord says. Here comes a word of encouragement for you today. Put your house in order because you're going to die. You're not going to recover. <laughs> well, thanks a lot, God, he may well have said passage goes on hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the lord remember O lord how i have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes and hezekiah wept bitterly before isaiah left the middle court the word of the lord came to him now go back and tell hezekiah the leader of my people this is what the lord the god of your father david says i have heard your prayer and seen your tears i will heal you On the third day from now, you will go up to the temple of the Lord and I'm going to add 15 years to your life. Wow. That's a fascinating uh, passage, isn't it? First of all, Hezekiah is told by God that he's going to die. You will not recover. And then God appears to change his mind, heals him and lets him live. Now, either there's quite a sadistic streak in God, which I don't believe, or he's willing to respond to the prayers of his people. Or he's willing to lay something in in such a way, knowing what the end is or is going to be or that he wants and give us that Holy Spirit nudge so that we wake up and get there. It probably doesn't really matter what we conclude from that. So much as our being open to God's prompting to turn those difficult, tough situations back to him in prayer. God, would you have mercy and act in this situation? He's going to know what's going to happen. But think about how it is sometimes with your kids or your grandchildren. You know who's broken the window. You know, it's obvious. There was only one child that was in the house at the time. Who's broken the window? How did that happen? But you're eager for them to come forth with telling the truth and to show a little bit of humility. I've broken windows as a boy, football mad as I was. I tried sticking one plain glass window together with sellotape so that mum wouldn't notice. She did. She's amazing, my mum. She wasn't immediately gracious, I have to be honest, as I just, my mind just goes back to that place. <laughs> but after the words and the rant and the anger, There was eventual forgiveness, albeit that I had to give little bits of my pocket money into saving up for this new uh, pane glass window. But she wanted me to come clean. She wanted me to be humble enough to do that. And there's something about that in God, isn't there? That passage that we've just read implies that God is willing to respond to prayer. So I need to pray as opposed to thinking, well, God's not going to change anything. This is this is what is due to happen. So What's the point? Well, then just accept it as it is. But who knows? It may well be that in our interceding, God may well bring about a change. It doesn't always happen. It doesn't always happen. And it may well be that there are times that we are still left scratching our heads. There's some tough stuff that can go on in our lives, isn't there? You will each know about that. A few of you know some of mine that's been going on over the last few weeks and months. That's tough, but it doesn't change the one who is in charge that knows that end column, that all is going to be okay. 
And so we trust the God in the now, despite the pain. God is unchanging in who he is, but he can, and who knows, may well from time to time change his mind if we come to him, if we seek after him with all our heart. Who knows what God might yet do? That's up to him, though. And I'm willing to leave that end result with him. Regardless of me not always getting it, God is sovereign, and he'll get it right in the end. We're going to pray right now. Glenn is going to lead us. I suspect he'll give us a little bit of time for stillness first. And after Glenn has led us in a time of prayer, we're then going to turn to God in song and worship him and if maybe towards the end of that first song somebody can whisk upstairs to let the kids know and then we're going to be joined with uh, my community kids who are going to be sharing with us what they're doing Glenn. thank you roger you make us think it's great isn't it <clears throat> as i was thinking about prayers this today I um, you know I often choose some prayers from um, from some liturgy or some uh, some set prayers and I wanted us to just start with uh, what's called the Nicene Creed it's what just affirming our faith and what we really believe and then we'll get into praying okay so we believe in one God the Father the Almighty maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made, For as men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate of the Virgin Mary and was made man for our sake. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and he was buried. But on the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and he's seated at the right hand of the Father He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and in his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. So let us pray for the church and for the world, and let us thank God for his goodness. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, you promise through your Son, Jesus Christ, to hear us when we pray in faith. Strengthen all your church in the service of Christ, that those who confess your name may be united in your truth, live together in your love, and reveal your glory in the world. 
Give wisdom to all in authority and direct this and every nation in the ways of justice and of peace. That may that men and women may honour one another and seek the common good. Especially at this time when the world is changing so much. There's so much happening. So many things seemingly going wrong. Lord, give wisdom to all in authority. Give grace to us, our families and our friends, and to all our neighbours, that we may serve Christ in one another and love as he loves loves us. We think of Julie, Bill, Kieran, Shane, Dora, Constance, Ivy, Laura, Paul and Tracy, and those that are on your heart too. Comfort and heal all those who suffer in body, mind or spirit. Give them courage and hope and in their troubles and bring them the joy of your salvation. And we'll just have a space now for you to think of those that are on your hearts. Lift them up to God. Lay your burdens on him. Hear us, Lord, as we pray and we give these people, our loved ones, to you. We rejoice in the fellowship of all at Dorchester Community Church. We commend ourselves and all Christian people to your unfailing love. Merciful Father, accept these prayers for the sake of your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.